Hey everyone, welcome to part two of Good Christian or God Poser. This is part two of an episode and I hope you've heard part one. If not, please go back through and listen to part one of Good Christian or God Poser because it's imperative that you have a good grasp on the foundation that was set in part one for the continuation of this episode. But this episode is part of um, several episodes that I've posted on the topic of LGBTQ in response to, to Gay Pride Month. Because as I had shared before, this is a subject that is near and dear to my heart because of what I've seen happen in my own close circle of family and friends, many who claim the name of Christ, um, the influence that the LGBTQ ideologies have had upon families and the lack of response or the lack of openly talking about it and equipping the saints to stand in their faith to know not just what they believe, but why they believe it. The church has been grossly silent on this issue. Now, obviously, not everyone has, but unfortunately, there's a really good portion of the church that has been silent on it. And it's either because of fear, because we know the hostility and the attacks that are taking place aimed at those who dare say that marriage is between one man and one woman, those who dare say that there are only two genders, and so on. So there's some fear there. Um, I think there may be just maybe ignorance, people aren't educated enough about it. Maybe they don't feel equipped, which, hey, you know, if, if you're a pastor and you don't feel equipped, then find someone who is. There's plenty of teachers out there on this. John MacArthur, um, Vody Balcom, they're out there. Jack Hibbs, um, there's people out there speaking the truth. Play some videos, play, play their videos if you don't feel that you're equipped to do it, but at least equip your people to be able to refute the twisting and the gross misapplication of scripture that is happening when it comes to this subject and, and something, you know, the LGBTQ agenda, let's not forget it's being fought in the civil rights arena. So it's, it's affecting your religious freedoms and the freedoms of the people that you are shepherding. But another reason some churches may be silent is because they actually are unfortunately in agreement with the LGBTQ ideologies. And that is very sad and very tragic if that's the case. Because these are obviously churches that do not hold to God's word as the infallible authority. But anyway, this um, part two of this episode is based on a post that someone put out calling Christians who do not agree with LGBTQ calling them God posers. So at the end of this episode, you can decide for yourself, good Christian or God poser, which is it? But anyway, I just pray that this equips you and encourages you and empowers you to take a stand, to stand for your faith. Of course, always speaking the truth in love. And we, we talk about that quite a bit, but thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. And I really pray that you enjoy part two of Good Christian or God Poser. Hi, and welcome to One Little Candle, a place where God's people can come to be encouraged and inspired to be the light that God calls us to be. And when our flame is burning bright, we can't help but light the flame of others along the way. Don't think that you can make a difference in your little corner of the world? Yes, you can, because all it takes is one little candle. I'm your host, Rebecca Bershwinger. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Okay, we're going to move on to the Old Testament versus the New Testament. Because in the Old Testament, there can be found some of the harshest condemnation of homosexual activity. And this is why the Old Testament has become the target of false conceptions by proponents of LGBTQ. One of the false conceptions is that of the place and importance of the Old Testament. Because the author of the post that this whole podcast is centered around stated that the New Testament is where Christ first gets involved and which Christianity is based on. So she also implied that the Old Testament no longer has any bearing or significance. But the truth is, 
you cannot have one without the other because the New Testament is what upholds and fulfills the Old Testament. But it doesn't in any way, shape, or form do away with it. Because if that's the case, you have to do away with thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not have no other gods before me, thou shalt not covet, the, you know, all the things, the moral laws and boundaries, loving boundaries that God has set for us are also stated in the Old Testament. And let's not forget that throughout the New Testament, actually, Paul and Peter referred to the Levitical laws, and Jesus himself often quoted the Old Testament as the holy, infallible word of God. This person tries to claim that Jesus somehow got involved and said otherwise. But Jesus obviously believed it, and he lived by it, the Old Testament, and he used it to teach others. If that's the case, then why shouldn't the Christian, right? Let us not forget that Jesus didn't just begin to become involved in the New Testament, by the way. As God's word tells us, Jesus was in existence since before the beginning of time. He actually helped to create the world. Colossians 1, 16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. So obviously, Jesus was also involved in creating the Levitical laws of the Old Testament as well. And we can't forget that the Old Testament isn't the only place in the Bible where the practice of homosexuality was forbidden or spoken of negatively. Again, this Genesis 19, Leviticus 18.22, Leviticus 20.13. But God's views on the subject were very clearly stated in the New Testament as well. And those verses would be 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, Romans 1, verses 18 through 32, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, and Jude, verse 7. And when Jesus was asked about marriage in Matthew 19, verses 1 through 12, what did he do? He pointed them back to God's plan for marriage in the Old Testament. And that plan was one man and one woman. Remember that Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The problem here is that some people have confused the ritual and ceremonial laws of the Old Testament that were given to a specific group of people, that is the Jews, that set them apart from non-Jews. If you look at the book of Acts chapter 10, Peter had a vision. And that vision was, and he was hungry and he wanted something to eat, okay? And so while they were preparing his food, it says he fell into a trance And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet coming down. I always picture it like a picnic blanket, but (laughs) Um, it came down upon the earth. But in it were all kinds of animals, reptiles, and birds of the air. And he heard a voice saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, oh, Lord, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Remember, because what you told us back in the Old Testament Um, And the voice came to him again a second time, obviously, the voice of God. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and then the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Because Peter had been strictly taught in the Torah to not eat these things. This was God's way at the time of keeping the Israelites separate from their idolatrous neighbors. And so God set specific dietary restrictions regarding the consumption of such animals in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. But with the coming of the new covenant and the calling of the church, God ended those dietary restrictions. And it was also symbolic of, you know, more than just abolishing the Old Testament dietary restrictions. This made unity possible in the church because you can have both Jews and Gentiles coming together, right? Gentiles, if, if you're not Jewish, which... Gentiles would be you and I. That would be symbolized by the clean animals, right? The Jews and the Gentiles symbolized by unclean animals. Because of the sacrificial death of Christ, we're able to to come together, okay? And, And be in unity as one. 
And the sacrifices were done away with. People no longer had to make animal sacrifices for a temporary atonement for their sins because when Jesus died on that cross and rose again, that was done away with because he, he covered our sin, his blood. He was the sacrificial lamb. These um, sacrifices that happened in the Old Testament, they were always pointing to Christ. He would one day be the ultimate sacrifice. And so in Hebrews um, chapter 9, verse 13, it says, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So Jesus fulfilled it, right? He fulfilled the Old Testament as the ultimate sacrifice. Um, the new covenant, it took away those, those rituals. It did not take away moral law. So I would really encourage you to read Hebrews chapters 8 through 10. In the interest of time here, I'm not going to do it. But, but again, as, as believers and with our Bibles, we're responsible to um, follow through and read up on these things anyway to see right through God's word if, if what I'm sharing with you is in fact truth. But again, these were ritualistic laws that no longer apply, not God's moral law. And here's a great rule of thumb. I don't remember who I heard this from it might have been um John MacArthur that if it's not about food civil or ceremonial laws okay they no longer applied any old testament law that is repeated in the new testament still applies so god's created order and foundation for moral laws have not changed and the 10 commandments still apply as well because they're never going to change god's moral laws will not change based on the whims of unstable sinful man or of the changing times. And for that, we should be giving thanks to God, right? We should be extremely grateful. How awful it would be to try and serve a wishy-washy God, because if the Bible were about the way this person tried to make it, and many unbelievers do, talk about chaos and confusion. That is not the God that we serve. And not only did Jesus come to fulfill the law, but he also raised the bar, right? He focused on inward compliance rather than only outward. And one example is in Matthew 5, 27, where Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Then in verse 28, he adds, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what about our perspective of Jesus? So many seem to have a very improper perspective of Jesus, don't they? And scripture is often misinterpreted and misapplied due to this improper view of, of God. Yes, God is love, right? We know that God isn't just a loving God. He is love. He, it's the embodiment of him. But that's not his only attribute. See, sometimes people just want to focus on the love, right? God is love. And again, using the world's warped perception of love, not God's love. But let us not forget God is also a holy God. He is a perfect God. He is righteous. He is one who demands justice. Yes, God is full of mercy and grace, but guess what else he can be full of? Wrath. So it's very dangerous to emphasize only part of God's character while completely disregarding his commands because his commands never contradict his character. His commands might not be what sinful hearts and ears want to hear, but they are loving, right? Now, the worldly view of Jesus and his unconditional love and peace, it might as well be compared to a silly picture of Christ. One where he is dressed like he's like some sort of 60s flower child, I guess, donning a robe. He's tossing flowers to bystanders while blowing kisses as, as he merrily skips along a dirt road, you know, occasionally thrusting up his arm to flash a peace sign with his fingers, right? That is the way the world often makes him out to be, especially if they're trying to justify something such as LGBTQ ideologies, but the world and Christians, unbelievers, would do well to remember, though, that Jesus wasn't merely a teacher, a prophet, and some great guy doing good deeds in the name of love, okay? 
Jesus is God in the flesh, and God is a holy and righteous God. The same holy, righteous God, okay, of the Old Testament, who demands due penalty for unrepentant sinners. That penalty, an eternity in hell. An eternity. Not like a prison sentence. Life in prison might be what for someone? 25, 30, 50 years? I don't know, right? At some point, their sentence ends. It's usually through death. Sometimes by parole if it's not life sentence. But there's an end in sight to it. Not hell. Eternity. I know we have a hard time thinking in terms of eternity because we are so constrained to space and time. Eternity is not. We'll take a, a look at a couple of the verses that talk about this. The first one is Revelation t- chapter 21, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. My friend, we don't want to see anyone go there. I don't care who they are. Let us always pray for repentance and for them to come to Christ before it's too late. Our loved ones as well as our enemies. And some other verses that talk about this are Romans 6.23, Mark 9.43, 2 Thessalonians 1.9, Jude 1.7, Revelation 20.15, and Romans chapter 2 verses 6 through 8. I'll talk about the the penalty for sin. And Jesus is going to one day return his promise. And if any of you are paying attention to the signs of the times, the signs are converging, my friends. Jesus' return is imminent. No other prophecies need to be fulfilled for Jesus to come back. We are right now big time in the shadow of the the tribulation. Um, We are pretty much out of time. So yes, Jesus will one day soon return as promised. And when he does, he is going to return as the executor of judgment. Jesus will not be returning as a gentle lamb, but rather a mighty warrior, okay? The reigning king and the righteous judge of the living and the dead. In the book of Revelation, when the apostle John sees Jesus, he falls as if dead. He describes the Prince of Peace as having eyes of fire from whose mouth comes a massive, mighty, razor-edged sword with which he will strike down the nations. That is the word of God, by the way. A Jesus fierce beyond description. And this same Jesus is going to welcome those who believe and do his will into his kingdom while saying to those who reject him, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. This is why the true believer must continue to speak out against all sin. And of course, always being cognizant of our own, right? Because we are not immune to stumbling. Ephesians 5.11 tells us, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And there's a way to go about it. We need to go about it with love and compassion in our hearts for the sinner, for the unrepentant when we do so, okay? A lot of prayer when you, when you speak out. One thing I'm finding as I'm putting out these episodes and I, am, I promote it on my Instagram, the same people that always are there with the likes, okay, seem to have fallen away for the most part. I'm finding a lot of people don't want to touch this, and that is the problem with our church. This is why so many young people are succumbing to the LGBTQ ideologies. They're struggling with gender and same-sex desires. They're not being taught the truth of God. Christians are afraid. They fear. They fear persecution, ridicule. Um, and I just, I think so many of them are just so ill-equipped because the church is not directly and openly from the pulpit speaking about these issues to be able to defend the faith. Guys, we need to know not just what we believe, but why. Anyway, let us not engage in the same cruel and tolerant behavior of labeling and bullying 
by those who, who oppose us. Yes, we get the hater label. We get the bigot, the intolerant label. We, we all know that. On their part, they practice intolerance in the name of tolerance. But let us not engage in that kind of behavior, okay? Because the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. And that is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. We can put the truth out there. We can be firm about it. We can take a strong stance. We can call sin, sin, okay? But we have to be patient when they revile us. Gently, but firmly correct them so God can lead them to repentance to the knowledge of the truth, because as Jesus said, know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? But as Ephesians chapter 4 verse 5 says, we need to speak the truth in love at the appropriate time. And if we have to live a godly life in front of them, right? Invest in them as a friend, a fellow human being. Maybe we should ask more questions than preach when we do have the opportunity of having the homosexual in our life, right? Or someone struggling with gender, to truly love and care for them, to show them that it's possible to not approve of everything that they may do, but yet love them, right? And let's pray for the Holy Spirit's open doors for engaging in the gospel along the way. So yes, boldly stand for righteousness, but go about it in a God-honoring way. Pray continually about how to do this. Because we know through following Jesus' example that it is possible to love someone yet disapprove of their sinful behavior. As I shared with you before, Jesus loved people enough to speak the truth into their lives, even when they didn't want to hear it. And as believers, we must continue to do the same, even though, like Jesus was, right, we can expect to be reviled and persecuted for our beliefs. But take heart, because Jesus himself said this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And that is Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. We're blessed. The creator of the universe is on your side, so long as you're not going about this in a hateful manner. Again, you're going to be accused of a hateful manner, no matter how loving you are, when someone doesn't want to hear something and they take offense. But there is no excuse if you actually are doing it in a hateful manner. And remember, if you're doing something in a hateful, demeaning manner, you're hurting everyone else. Okay, you're hurting the cause of Christ and you're hurting your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are actively taking a stand for righteousness. Please don't do that. So I want to know, where do you stand? And ask God, where do I stand? Ask yourself, where do, where do I stand? Because tragically, there are those who claim the name of Christ, yet they choose to ignore God's clear condemnation of sexual immorality, and they actually give approval to those who practice such things. Again, Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Hebrews, oh no, I'm sorry, James 4.17 says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. My friend, as a believer, we cannot have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. It's unacceptable to God. James 4, 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Don't make yourself an enemy of God by trying to please the world, by fearing man instead of God here in this situation, because I know the agenda, it's full bore, and it's being fought in the civil rights arena, which is one reason why this particular sin, I think really Christians need to come out of the closet <laughs> about this, um, because it is so serious, because it is through this that rights are being taken away, freedoms are being taken away, and 
our silence is causing young people to fall into this sin. If you are someone who claims the name of Christ, but you're ignoring God's clear condemnation and you're giving approval of these things, and look, if you're someone with a child who is involved in a same-sex relationship, please reach out for prayer. Please reach out for prayer. I would just love to pray for you because I cannot imagine what that is like. There seems to be an epidemic of parents who just want their child to be happy. When their child comes to them and says, oh, but I'm so happy. I've never been happier in my life. And oh, I just want my child to be happy, right? You know, God reminds us that we are happy in our sin. That doesn't make it right. And Jesus doesn't care about our happiness. He cares about our holiness. When he prayed for us and he prayed for his disciples, he did not pray for our happiness. He did pray for unity, okay, for us to be united as one in him and for us to never be lost. But he did not pray for wonderful circumstances and happiness as the world views happiness. But getting back to if you are someone who is trying to have one foot in the world, you would do well to take seriously the advice in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Because 2 Corinthians 13, 5 instructs us to examine yourselves, it says, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So examine yourself to see if you are truly in the faith because you might just be one of those unfortunate people whom Jesus spoke of in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus says, I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Because when we give approval to such things, we are in fact taking that lost sinner by the hand and assisting them in their eternal self-destruction. When we as Christians embrace what they do and accept it, we are creating a climate of sin and providing an obstacle-free path straight to hell. I'm thinking of Isaiah 5.20 as I say this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Because when God in his word calls something evil, then it's evil. I'd like to share a quote with you from Charles Stanley from the Life Principles Daily Bible. He says, when God in his word calls something evil, it is evil. And when he labels a thing bitter, no multitude of religious authorities can make it sweet through their solemn declarations. God is our absolute authority. So what about you? Do you claim to know Christ yet disagree with the Bible's teachings on homosexuality or perhaps even gender? Are you possibly thinking in your mind that there can be two more genders, that a man can possibly be a woman and vice versa? Because that's not rational thinking, my friend. It's not steeped in, in reality. If this is you, would you please take the time to stop right now and with a humble heart, Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal God's truth to you, whatever it may be. Can you do that? Can you ask God to make it clear to you and to help you embrace his truths, even though it might be painful? But how else can we learn and grow in our faith if we're not willing to accept and embrace God's faithful truths? How? God's word tells us that our hearts can deceive us. It says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. That's from Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 through 10. Look, none of us, including me, are immune to having our feelings and our desires fool us into rationalizing our way either into or out of something. We've all struggled with that, and we're all guilty of it. But God, 
God who knows the very depths of our hearts and the parts we're not even aware of, those dark little corners, God is able and willing to reveal to us the truth that we should so desperately be seeking. And that seeking, again, if we're true truth seekers, we're going to be willing to temporarily experience grief, pain, or disappointment if his truths don't align with our desires and thinking. That's what a real truth seeker is, right? They seek God's truth at all costs. It doesn't matter what you may have to change in your beliefs or your actions. It doesn't matter what the cost is to you, what sacrifice you might have to make. As long as you have God's truth, right? It doesn't have to agree with our feelings or desires. Because again, as Jesus said, know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's the only way to true freedom. And I think that was John chapter 8, verse 32. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Do you trust what God has set forth in his commands and his laws for our own good, even though they may oppose what you feel and think? Do you, my friend, crave freedom in the manner that the world defines freedom? which is the freedom to live as one feels is right? Is that the kind of freedom you're craving? Because this kind of freedom is really nothing more than slavery to one's sinful desires. The world thinks that they're free when they can live according to the dictates of their feelings and emotions, but they're in bondage to those. And when they bow to those feelings and desires, which so often steer us wrong, you know, feelings and desires that aren't steeped in reality. When we bow to those, we become a slave to those. And when we're a slave to those, we're blinded. We cannot see the truth that's in front of us. Or do you yearn for the truth that will set you free from the yoke of slavery to sin, your fleshly desires? Because God is patiently waiting to bestow his mercy and goodness upon you. He's waiting to purify your heart. Second Chronicles chapter 30, the second half of verse 9. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. And Proverbs 123 says, If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. My fellow Christians, we cannot have it both ways. We cannot and must not hold to the world's views while claiming to know Christ because the Bible refers to this as being double-minded. What does it mean to be double-minded? James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded well, God's word, according to James 4, 8, says that double-mindedness is a sin, right? And that we need to wash our hands and purify our hearts if we're double-minded. I looked up the dictionary definition of, of double-minded, and the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines double-minded as this. Number one, wavering in mind, undecided, vacillating. Number two, marked by hypocrisy, insincere. Dr. Kynan Bridges, in his article on double-mindedness, says, quote, double-minded comes from the Greek word dipsychos, which means wavering or divided interest. And the root of this word literally means to have two psychologists <laughs> or dual consciousness. The double-minded person literally has two agendas operating inside them. Another translation is two souls. He then goes on to say, the other word to consider is unstable. This word comes from the Greek word, and I don't know if I'm butchering this word or not, but akatestatos, <laughs> which means unable to stand or unable to be set. The friction between the two personalities of the double-minded person creates an atmosphere of spiritual and emotional instability. They are never settled in their purpose, and ultimately they never fulfill their destiny in God. Again, that is from Dr. Kynan Bridges. Um, I've been guilty of being double-minded at times. And you know what? It's just left me feeling confused and very much um, devoid of, of God's peace and unable to make solid God-honoring decisions. But as I just mentioned in James 4, 8, 
come near to God and he will come near to you. When we draw near to God, he in turn draws near to us. And when he does, he will guide us into all truth. And then we will be influenced for God's kingdom, not the kingdom of this earthly world, right? We're going to be emotionally and spiritually stable. Like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 says, and this is the NLT version. I like this. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Because let's face it, the world, and again, so much in the... um. LGBTQ ideologies and trying to defend their beliefs and views when they twist and misapply scripture. They're very clever about it. And of course, Satan is behind this. He's very clever about it. He knows God's word. He knows how to twist it. Look what he did to Eve, right? In the Garden of Eden. They sound like the truth. But once we are spiritually and emotionally stabilized, okay, by the truth of God's word, we can be wise as to the cleverly disguised lies that are masquerading as the truth, the truth that the world so desperately wants us to embrace. And why? Because it gives ease to its own conscience. We don't ever want to give ease to the conscience of someone who is bound for hell, do we? Who's living and striving very much against God and his His commands, his moral laws, his um created order? Do we really want to ease their conscience? Well, guess what? Your silence is going to ease their conscience, right? Our silence, our embracing and accepting what they do. And by the way, your your silence is embracing and accepting the ideologies of LGBTQ. We cannot be double-minded, okay? We, we, we just can't. Because the fact is God has not changed and he will not change. This has nothing to do with getting with the times, okay? I know the woke generation who, by the way, I ingest refer to them as the asleep generation because those who are claiming to be woke are more asleep than ever. They're asleep to reality. They're asleep to God's truths. Um, they're asleep. For them to somehow think that they can all of a sudden, remember the world functioned before they came along and actually it was functioning better than it is today since they started putting out their beliefs and ideologies and trying to cram them down, well, basically people's throats and force them on others through the hijacking of our language, another podcast episode coming up. But um, God has not changed and he will not change because there's no need to, right? God got it right from the beginning, okay? He got it right from the beginning. For people to somehow think that they can come along thousands of years later after God created this world and his put his created order out there and into play, that they can somehow come and tell God, nope, no, you didn't get it right. This is how it is. This is how it's going to be. We believe otherwise. And what we believe is truth, okay? That is really actually just nothing more than insanity. That's the workings of a depraved mind. God set the parameters for morality several thousand years ago, and he made it abundantly clear to us in his word. He knew what he was doing then, and he knows what he is doing now. Why? Because he is holy. He's perfect. He is without blemish. Again, he got it right the first time. He has not changed. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Uh, we also have Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, and James chapter 1, verse 17. Please, again, look those up, study them, meditate on them, pray about them. But to suppose that we thousands of years later have discovered a new morality or that a perfect, holy, and orderly God has somehow um, changed his laws and decrees in order to cater to mankind's every whim or the changing times, that is both arrogant and preposterous. Look, I know God's commands and truths are not easy for our fallen flesh to embrace or accept at times. I get that. I really do. But God's decrees, they're unconditional, okay? God's decrees... They're not based on outside influences, feelings, or changing times, okay? He had a plan from the beginning. 
a perfect plan, and he has one right to the end, to the fullness of time. They are eternal. Job chapter 23, verses 13 and 14 says, But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. And we have Psalm 33, 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Isaiah 14, 24 says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so it shall be, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. And another good one from Isaiah, Isaiah 46, 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Even though I know that God's truths, some are more hard than others, right? In regard to our fallen flesh. But if we truly love God, we truly come to know God, and we are in Christ, His commands are not burdensome. Because we love what God loves and we hate what he hates and he hates sin in all its forms, even sins that make us feel good. We're to hate it. We are to flee from it and run to God. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, flee from sexual immorality. I don't remember God saying flee from in regard to a lot of other sins. Not that they're not harmful or wrong. Don't, don't get me wrong here. But he said, flee from it. To flee from something means get away from it as quickly as you can, right? Do whatever it takes to get away from it. Why did he say that about sexual immorality? Whether it's heterosexual immorality or homosexual immorality, why did he say that? Because it says every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. God knows the damage that living outside his established boundaries for sex is going to cause us great harm. Obviously, bodily, but spiritually, emotionally, relationally, as a society, worldwide harm. God created sex And he's decided what the acceptable forms of sexual relations are, not man. We don't get to decide that, no matter how it makes our flesh feel. God's condemnation of fornication, adultery, incest, bestiality, and homosexuality stands as strong today as when he first declared such acts an abomination to him. And the only way to even begin to hint at God somehow approving of such things is to create a God in one's own mind that goes along with one's fleshly desires and ideas. That is not worshiping the true God of a Bible. That's worshiping a God made up in our own mind. And that is idolatry. And we know where idolatry leads people. Never anywhere good. I just want to make a little side note on the quote, love the sinner, hate the sin, because the um, person whose post I am basing this episode on mentioned that quote. And as a Christian, I understand the intention behind the saying. Um, This is probably, though, not the the thing to say in regard to a person with same-sex attraction or one who practices homosexuality, because I used to embrace this saying as well. But I had learned that even though it's a well-meant intent, Because as Christ followers, we're to love others, right? Even those whom we disagree with while hating sin. So that's what the Christian's trying to get across. And and they know that when they say that, that we're to hate all sin just as God does, including our own. Because again, true Christ followers do in fact hate their own sin, right? We should be grieved um, by our own sinful struggles. And although our sexual preferences should never be our identity for the homosexual. That's exactly the case. This is why when they hear love the sinner, hate the sin, it offends them. I think it confuses them because when you say love the sinner, hate the sin, well, they hear, I love you, yet I hate you, or, or God loves you, yet God hates you, right? So maybe we should refrain from using those Christian um, 
saying same thing as you know God created Eve, not Steve. That that's that doesn't get anyone anywhere, honestly. So in answer to this person's post, um, well, I I asked the question: Is a person a good Christian or a God poser if they do the things that this person posted? And that is take a stand against LGBTQ ideologies, um, declare God's truth using scriptures. We answered the question, are we loving our neighbor as ourself if we don't believe in, and we make that clear and take a stand against that sin? Yes, we are. Absolutely. Just because someone doesn't want to hear or accept it doesn't make it wrong to, to declare, okay? But the fact of the matter is someone who speaks out and stands against it is in fact being a good Christian. They're being an obedient Christian when they use the scriptures properly and correctly, when a Christian has a proper perspective of Jesus, taking a stand for righteousness, when they quote the Old Testament along with the New, when they love someone enough to speak the hard truth to them and not remain silent, when they do all of things that this person so hated and resented, they are in fact being a good Christian. They're not God posers. A God poser would be someone that, well, does like this person did and uses scripture wrongly. They twist it. They misapply it, obviously from not even understanding it, in order to justify what God clearly condemns and calls sin. That, in fact, is a God poser. So please be a good Christian. You can still love them in your heart. You can pray for them. Those who don't share our beliefs, the gay community, those struggling with gender, Pray for them. Pray for God's truth to be revealed to them. Stand strong for God's truths. Don't be afraid to call it out when the opportunity comes along. And trust me, there's more and more opportunities for us to to stand for God's truths, even though it may cost us. But God says, don't be surprised at it. It's nothing new. Okay, we are to expect it. It hates him. It's going to hate us. I hope that um, this has helped you, this has strengthened you and encouraged you. Again, I am focusing on LGBTQ because it is Gay Pride Month and it is everywhere. And I feel as Christians, we should be countering it with the truth, the truth spoken out of love and concern for those who are so deceived. And if you're hearing this and you don't know God, but perhaps you'd like to know more about God, please listen for some information on where you can go to learn more about God, to get right with God, to come to God, to find peace with God. I will have that the at the end of this, but I will have the scriptures posted on my website, www.onelittlecandlepodcast.com. Um, please chime in on Candles Together, a free Facebook group that you can join. Share your story. Ask for prayer. And follow on Instagram too, One Little Candle Podcast, if you like. Song for the week, okay? You know, we're standing on that solid rock, right? A firm foundation. And that rock is Jesus Christ. And so the song, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less, keeps coming to mind. So I'm going to have that be the song for this episode. I will have the link to it in the podcast description and on my website. So yeah, just listen to that song, sing it, and remember what we're standing on. We're not standing on what the world says. We're not standing on our sexual identity or anything else. We're standing on Jesus Christ. He's a solid rock. Because if we put our hope or our faith or our trust or our beliefs in anything else, it's sinking sand, right? We're going to sink. And the world is sinking because it's putting its hope in so many other things. And we're watching it sink right before our eyes. So yeah, my hope is built on nothing less. That is the song for the week. So listen, go out and be that one little candle. Please speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. Yes, love the sinner. I can say this to another believer. Love the sinner, but hate the sin. Okay? Do that. Be that one little candle. Be that light. Be that hope. If you can somehow form a relationship out of true love for, for a person that you know is struggling with same-sex desires or who actively lives the homosexual lifestyle, please do it. Ask more questions. 
than give answers right now when opportunity arises. And you know what? Study. Study to show yourself approved. And I say that meaning study to show yourself approved. Study so that you can defend the faith, right? Know not just what you believe, but why you believe. If you have young people in your life, please point them to Christ. Point them so that they know that their identity should never be in anything but Christ and made in the image of God. Okay, that's it. That's it. If your church, by the way, isn't talking about these things openly, and I mean behind the pulpit and a Sunday service, you know, I, I some churches aren't even doing this, but others are having people go out and have a different session on this or whatever, but not everybody is going to go to that session. They, they, they can't. Um, because you want, you want to catch the person, maybe the guest that comes into church, right? It should be spoken in the Sunday service from behind the pulpit. And I think some of the problem is so many are on Facebook these days, they're afraid. But I got to say, not the pastor at the church that I was at last week and the week before he, he spoke it, but he spoke it in a firm, godly, but loving manner, but he spoke it. He may be called out for it, but you know what? Obey God and leave the consequences to him, right? And that's what we need to do. So be that one little candle. Be that light in this darkness, please. I know it's hard. Keep your flame flickering. It's your corner of the world. There's someone there who needs your light. But there's also Christians who need your light too. Maybe their flame's been snuffed out. Come alongside them and light it. Until next time, you take care and God bless. Do you want to know more about God? Are you looking for true peace and hope in your life? True peace and hope, that's only found in God. If you want to know more about God and how you can experience his love and peace, Peace with God, a ministry of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, will show you the way. Log on to www.peacewithgod.net. That's www.peacewithgod.net. And find the peace and hope that you've been looking for.